lamb standing at the center of the throne went and took the scroll. He took it from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Would you pray with me? This morning, our Father in heaven, this morning, our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, we hear We hear these words and we recognize that these are prophetic scriptures that declare what you are doing and what you have done. What you have done and what you are doing. What is yet to be fulfilled and what has already been fulfilled. You're inviting us, Holy Spirit, to take our place as a royal priesthood. A people redeemed to be a kingdom and priest to serve God. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you call that identity out in us? Would you call us out as a kingdom of priests? Would you bring us into God's marvelous story? Really catch us up, Holy Spirit, that we'd have eyes to see that you've made us, Lord Jesus beautiful Lamb of God, you've made us to be a kingdom of priests. And that day is coming, that day is coming as John saw it, when the Lamb will go to the right hand of the Father and take the scroll and break its seals and bring forth the final pages of history, the judgments that will bring about the eternal purposes of God. And there will be golden bowls in heaven at that time, full of the worship and the praise of those who love you with all of our hearts. So call us out as a kingdom of priests. Call New Life Church out as a kingdom of priests today, at the start of this new year, that we would understand our identity, that we would walk in the mantle that you've given us, God that you've given us for your son, that he would have a people in the earth, an inheritance, because he's so worthy. And Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you gave it all, that we could be raised out of the pit, the depths of darkness, the filth of our sin and crowned with an identity as priests to serve you. Lord, as this year begins, we're asking this morning that you would remove everything that hinders us from rising up, stepping into this calling. Lord, would you impress it on our hearts in this coming year that you call us a royal priesthood. 
Jesus, because of what you have done. Because royal blood was shed to purchase us. Oh, we thank you. You are holy. You are holy. Jesus, you are. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love to speak to us. We thank you that you love to draw near. And God, we thank you for this generation of teenagers that that are gathering to hear from you, to get to know each other even more and to become a community of teenagers who love you and also have great fun together. Lord, we We thank you for your protection over this camp. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you go with them. We thank you that your presence is with them. And Lord, we ask you to mark them. Mark them with your spirit. Jesus, would they set you as a seal of love on their hearts. And by the power of your spirit that you would keep them and bring that love to its completion the love of Christ bringing their lives to a place of absolute completion in you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yes, looking forward to hearing more of those those assignments. And uh, here we are, day one. 2023, full of anticipation and excitement, hoping for great things. So um, uh, I've got my man bag up here this morning because we're starting with a quiz and I've got the prizes in here. So there's uh, rewards for those who participate. This is an all age. It's an open quiz question and it's Jesus, how well do you know him? So... Now, these are all questions related to the birth of Jesus, which you heard, um, and I'm sure you've, you did things in your home to, as you marked out perhaps December 25th as the day of Jesus' birthday, knowing full well, of course, it wasn't his birthday, but that's beside the point. So here we go. Here's first question. All right. Now, Bible verses are helpful here, right? But... You can, you can say with confidence your answer, but the answers are all in the Bible, all right? And the answers aren't Jesus, okay? All right, so question number one. How do we know from the Bible that Mary and Joseph were very poor? Well, we heard a voice from the back. So Luke 2, 21. Are you coming to get your prize, Nathan? You're going to send a runner? <laughs> yes, Luke, Luke 2, 21 and 24, if you want to make a note of it. Uh, there was offerings that uh, couples would present to the Lord. And uh, there was a descending scale. And if you were the poorest of the poor, that was the offering that Mary and Joseph gave. Okay, how old was Jesus when the Persian kings visited him? Uh, I saw Josh Tanucci's hand go up. What's, did he have it? No, he didn't have it. So, oh, too high. Overshot here. One over here. 
Corbin. How old? Yeah, we'll take two. And, how do, and where in the Bible is that, Corbin? Your mum probably knows. Come and get your prize, Corbin. Come and get your prize. It's Matthew chapter 2. You're a bit of a smarty, I reckon. So, yeah, we know that from, if you read the account, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18, uh, when Herod finds out that the Persian kings have left without coming back, he goes and he kills all the children, all the boys, two and under. So, and if you connect the dots, as many of you will be, well, because when the kings came, what did they present? Gold, frankincense and myrrh, they're the right answers, okay. So if Mary and Joseph had had gold, would they have offered the absolute poor tithe as their sacrifice? They would not have, they would have offered what they had. So there you go, fun fact. So you never want to have the Persian kings in your nativity scenes, unless your baby's two years old. Okay, here's the third and final one. When Jesus declared himself as the bread of life who'd come down from heaven, now that's in John 6, so that's way after his birth, but stay with me. Where did he get this idea from that he was the bread of life that had come down from the Father in heaven? Connect that to his birth. Oh, this is tricky. This one's a tricky one. Okay, hang on, hang on. Call it. Yeah, Eleanor? No. Which means... House of bread and, yeah, no, it's all part of the same thing. When he was born, where was he laid? In a feeding trough. So he's born in the house of bread and he's put in a feeding trough. Well done, Judith, come and get your prize. Well done, I think we've got one of all ages there. Which would you like? You get a choice. I'll take this because I can give it to my... You'd be a smarty. You're a smarty. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a spare. Okay, I'll pay close attention to who's listening. And maybe at the end there'll be a special reward. (laughs) All right. Well, here we are at the beginning of the year. Uh, So, VM, can we have that next slide? Thanks. And, oh, that's a good one. Yes, we'll do that one. Yep. So... I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to read some verses here. Now, what we're going to, I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to focus on the theme, poured out. So as we read through the text, be looking for the words poured out or similar. So Matthew chapter 26, 1 to 16. Uh, just a bit of background, so we've had Matthew 24, Matthew 23, Jesus in the temple with Jerusalem, it's a big confrontation with the chief priests and the scribes, you can read all that. Then, then they leave, Matthew 24, they, they're leaving the, the temple in Jerusalem and they're going out and the disciples are asking questions and they go and they sit on the Mount of Olives looking back across to the temple and Jesus enters into a big dialogue an explanation to his disciples, chapters 24 and 25, and now we're into chapter 26. And when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days. So that's right, they knew that. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus was speaking about himself. Son of Man was his favourite descriptor of himself. It comes from Daniel 7. Daniel 7. 
At the same time, so Jesus having that conversation with his disciples, at the same time that that's happening, Matthew tells us that the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration or the people may riot. Verse 6, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Remember, he's told them just a few sentences earlier, Passover is two days away, he's going to be executed. So it's very clear, I'm not going to be around very much longer. She's poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then the scene changes. Now we've got Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Then we go down further in Matthew 26 to verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So we'll go to that next slide, thanks. Matthew 26 has a lot of activity, as I just said. It's a very busy chapter. It opens with Jesus speaking to his disciples about his impending death at Passover and his life is going to be poured out. Then this scene shifts. We've got the secret meeting in Caiaphas' house and the plot to capture and kill Jesus that's being hatched. And they plan to pour out Jesus' life. Next, we're in Simon's home in the village of Bethany, which means house of the poor, Bethany, house of the poor. And that village is about three kilometers from Jerusalem. And here we've got an unnamed woman who enters with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and pours out all of it on Jesus' head. This is an extraordinary act of devotion. We are not told this woman's name by Matthew. We learn who she is in some of the other accounts and the other Gospels. But today I just want to focus on what's going on in Matthew's account. What we know about this kind of perfume is that in this alabaster jar, it was probably something that had been imported from the east into Israel. Alabaster is a soft rock that's easily carved and it has a beautiful white finish. So a very attractive looking thing. Something that you would want to keep, something precious in like this. But once you break open this particular uh, alabaster jar vase, it, it's got to be used quickly. This perfume's got to be used before it loses its fragrance. It's incredibly expensive. 
It's estimated to be the equivalent of one year's wages for a labourer. Often these things are a family heirloom. Could also be the woman's inheritance as well. It's a special gift that's given to her as part of that reality for herself. And here, what, here she does, she comes into this room and she just tips a whole lot over Jesus. She pours out her prized possession on Jesus. She doesn't hold anything back. This is a stunning picture. If you think of it this way, those of you that like, like a little word kind of connection, the dots, if you think of it, she poured out her best on the best one. She poured out her best on the best. Jesus is the best. She poured out her best on him. So now the response from others is predictable, I would say, because the cry is, what a waste. And people are still the same today, still the same today. When a person pours their love out on Jesus, often the response is, what a waste. You should be doing something better with your time, with your money, with your efforts, with your energy. Julie and I had a little bit of taste of this in 1995 when we sold almost everything we owned in obedience to Jesus. As an act of obedient faith, there were, there were people in our circle and some we heard of later, Christians who criticised us, who counselled us against doing it, that it was foolish and stupid and all kinds of things, that, that this decision with two young sons that we were making as a deliberate act of obedient faith because Jesus is worthy, just as Revelation 5 tells us. Jesus had been speaking to us, he'd been inviting us into this and we'd been, we'd been looking at and he'd been speaking to us from Matthew 13, 44 to 46. That, that thing of where you find a pearl of great price and you sell everything you have, the kingdom of heaven's like that. So you can get that pearl. Or you find a field with a treasure in it and you sell everything you have so that you can buy that field because you want that treasure. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, that is what Jesus is like. And the sobering thing that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 to 39, that if we love our family more than we love Jesus, we're not worthy to belong to him. That, that strikes us deeply, doesn't it? That probably offends you. Jesus isn't saying don't love your family. But he's saying certainly don't worship your family. Don't love them more than you love him. A New Testament writer, Craig Keener, said devotion to Jesus must precede and inform all other important and godly agendas. Devotion to Jesus informs everything. Everything starts and ends with love for Jesus. All of my choices, my actions and words, both to God and people, are shaped by and reveal my love for Jesus. This is what's going on in this picture. Next slide, thanks. Now, why did Matthew put the woman with the beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume in between the secret meeting plotting to kill Jesus and Judas meeting with the chief priests and agreeing to betray Jesus? Matthew is a very good author 
And when you're telling a story, you put things where you want them uh, so that you have the story that you're looking for. So in between this, this plot to kill Jesus and the betrayal against Jesus, Jesus puts this woman. Just think about it. Why has Matthew done that? Matthew's saying that nothing's new. We ought not to be surprised when we read or hear today of powerful people plotting in secret to rule the world. That ought not surprise us, everybody. As if like something new has suddenly come onto the planet. Rich, powerful people plot to rule the world. Read history. It's been going on since the Garden of Eden, just after Genesis 3. Genesis 3 onward, that's what we've got going on. And also we've got going on that people inside the church, inside the collective people called the disciples of Jesus, people willing to betray Jesus. Now that ought not shock us either. We don't want to be one of them. That doesn't go well for you. But again, we ought not be surprised by that. And I think one of the things that Matthew's trying to communicate to us, and certainly what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning as we begin this new year, is that it's, you know, we ought not to be surprised and we ought not to put our focus on the plots and the plans of people to kill Jesus or the schemes of people that are betraying Jesus. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. That's where our attention needs to be. It's on Jesus. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus saying? Where's Jesus leading us? And I ought to, and we ought to be people who are pouring out our love on Jesus. Yes, it's costly. Yes, you're going to be misunderstood and criticised, even by other Christians, for pouring your love out on Jesus. But look what Jesus does for this woman because he speaks up and he defends her. Yes, Jesus will speak up and defend and give you honour when you pour your love out on him. Poured out's a really uh, strong biblical theme, actually. If you do a word search on it and use any Bible search engine that's available to you on the internet, just put in the phrase into that poured out, you'll, you'll, you'll come up with a whole list of references throughout the scriptures. But very quickly, I want to just show you that there are three poured outs in the Bible. So... The first one is this, that God has poured out his grace in Jesus Christ for humanity. Number one, see, God's always the initiator. God's always the first one to pour out. So we could actually go back to creation. Say so God was pouring out his love on cre- when he created the world. That's what he was doing. The world was chaotic. God poured out and brought order to the chaos. He established it, all those kind of things. We could look at that and explore that. The second poured out is that God requires people to respond to his grace and pour out their life as an offering to him. This is in response, right? So God takes initiative. Number one, he pours out his grace and he he requires all humans to pour out a response to his grace as an offering to him. And then the third poured out that we need to be aware of is that Jesus Christ will pour out God's justice on all who reject God's grace. There's nothing left. You reject God's grace that he's lavished on us as humans. The only thing left is for the pouring out of justice. So we see that's the, that's the big summary, everybody. You want to talk about 
how to share Christ with people, you could use that as, a, as an illustration. Number one, God's poured out. Number two, God requires us to pour out. Number three, Jesus pours out all that's left, which is God's justice. Let's come back to that next. We'll go to the next slide, thanks. We'll come back to Judas, the woman, and the chief priests, just to wrap this up this morning, everybody. Because Matthew's always connecting the life of Jesus with the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, one of the things you want to know about Matthew is that the phrase, as the scriptures say, is repeated over and over again in Matthew. If you've ever read it, you'll have seen that pattern. And so here's what Matthew's doing here. Firstly, he's, he's bringing us to the point where we all, as we read this, if we were Middle Eastern people and we read of Judas from the inner circle of Jesus is going to betray him, we ought to be as horrified as someone who takes an axe to their family members. That's the level of of a monstrous crime that we're talking about in that culture. Betrayal was not common and it was considered a monstrous crime. And here Judas is betraying Jesus for the value of what? 30 pieces of silver. Where else do we know what 30 pieces of silver is? Someone is saying it over here. That's right. It's the price of a slave. It's the price of Joseph. It occurs. It's the price of of the, the shepherd in Zechariah 12. If you accidentally kill someone's slave, whether it's a male or a female, you compensate them with 30 pieces of silver. So we've got slavery and we've got evil shepherds. Zechariah. So Matthew's joining all these dots together for us. So here's what he's doing. Matthew is highlighting the different value that people place on Jesus. And this happens today. It happens inside the church and happens outside the church. We've got here in this passage a woman who says, Jesus, you are so valuable, I will give my highest, most valuable possession to you to lavish my love on you because I understand who you are, what you've done and what you're going to do. You're my greatest treasure, Jesus. I'm giving you my all. I'm pouring it all out on you. But Judas has a different value of Jesus. Jesus, Judas is selling his access to Jesus. That's what he's doing and he's betraying, right? Because the chief priests look for someone who can get them access to Jesus. People, there, there are people in the church who are doing this as well today, selling access to Jesus. This is not new. They wouldn't say that they're betraying him. But you can pay people on the internet to give you access to Jesus. To give you the word of the Lord, they'll call it that. It comes in other names as well. It's pretty intense, isn't it? So, what does this do for us? Well, all of it is this at the beginning of this year. I want you to ask the question, what's Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? If you put yourself in this story, where do you put yourself? Do you put yourself with the unnamed woman? You are lavishing your love on Jesus. You are pouring 
everything you have on Jesus? Are you Judas? Are you selling access to Jesus? Are you betraying Jesus? Are you just waiting and hovering and looking for an opportunity to betray him? Using your connection to Jesus to make money. I've seen people do that in different ways. In, in many ways, actually. It's had people come into this church and seek to build connections in this church as a means to make money off the people in this church. We've quickly shown them the door because that's not what church is for. But perhaps you're like the chief priests. You're actually plotting to get rid of Jesus. What's Jesus worth to you? Is he worth pouring out everything, all your love and devotion on him? Will you pray with me? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Let's mutter out your own quiet prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I'm going to pray a prayer phrase by phrase and you might like to pray it with me. Holy Spirit, you reveal deep and hidden things. Please show me any Judas-like issues lurking in my heart, waiting for an opportunity to betray or kill Jesus. Holy Spirit, I surrender my whole being to you at the dawn of this new year. I give you permission to make me an extravagant lover of Jesus. Help me pour out my life as a fragrant offering on Jesus, even if others accuse me of waste. Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do to make me someone who pours out love on Jesus. This is my sincere prayer. Amen. And as we move into the Feast of Jesus, we read these verses from Matthew 26 again. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So I invite you to take that, this little wafer and to give thanks to God for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was hung on a cross for your sin and my sin. as we drink the cup remember the words of Jesus that this is his blood which confirms the covenant God is making between himself and people his blood poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many to forgive your sins and my sins so I invite you to drink and give thanks 